live on KBOO Radio or view it on Open Signal Community Television. KBOO Community Radio is working with beautiful Portland to collect socks and blankets for those who are sleeping outside this winter. There is a collection box in the lobby of KBOO Radio, 20 Southeast 8th Avenue in Portland between Burnside and Ankeny. Donations are accepted Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Good morning. You're listening to KBOO Portland. And next up, we've got Veterans Voice. Marvin is here. And... um. We're going to start with some music. Stand by. We pay in hell since Moscow burned. Cossacks tear us piece by piece Our dead are strewn a hundred leagues Though death would be a sweet relief And our grand army is dressed in the ranks A frozen starving beggar band Like rats we steal each other's scraps Fighting hand to hand Save my soul from evil Lord and heal this soldier's heart I'll trust in thee to keep me Lord I'm done What dreams he made for us to dream Spanish skies, Egyptian sands Yeah, the world was ours, we marched upon Our little corporal's command And I lost an eye at Austerlitz The saber slash yet give me pain True love awaits me still Flower of the Aquitaine Save my soul from evil Lord and heal the soldier's heart I'll trust in thee to keep me, Lord I'm For her who prays for me A safe return to my bell friends We prayed these wars would end our wars In war we know there's no romance And I pray our child will never see Toward a foreign shore Captivate the hearts of men I save my soul from evil Lord and heal the soldier's heart I'll trust in thee to keep me Lord I'm
The time is 9.05 here at KBOO Portland. KBOO programming is made possible by KBU member listeners and support from Natural Grocers, which is donating 2.5% of company-wide sales this MLK Day to the Jack and Jill Gap Fund for historically black colleges and universities. Portland Calling. Sisters and brothers, welcome to Veterans Voice Radio Show on KBOO 90.7 FM in Portland, 104.3 FM Corvallis, and 91.9 FM Hood River, or on the world, world Wide Web at KBOO.FM. And if you'd like to hear some of our older shows, you can go to KBOO.FM slant. Uh, veterans voice. I'm Marvin and Tammy's engineering and uh, I got a couple things I want to talk about today uh, that have been bothering me for quite a while and the uh, one of the things is the children of war. Uh, I grew up really really poor and as poor kids you know you're, you're treated a lot different than than people uh, than other little kids are when you're poor and uh, it, br- it brings me right back to when I was in Vietnam and and saw all the horrible things that were happening to these young children, you know, children who'd lost their mothers and their fathers and their their whole families that had been wounded terribly by American bombs and napalm and were living in these shanty shacks that popped up around military bases and the children were you know, become beggars and thieves and whatever just to to uh, survive uh, a war that we never needed to have, that we started, that the American government started. And then and I th- think about when I was in Central America and, and those wars down there were the same thing. There were all these children you know that were motherless and fatherless and and living on the streets and and you know being picked on by all kinds of different people it's it's these young kids uh that uh, really bother me and, and how they uh you know got through all that and when i was thinking about that i remembered i'd taken a class from uh, a professor uh, from Stanford University, his name was Phil Zimbardo, and he was a pretty good professor. And I remember uh, <clears throat> he had an experiment. It was called the uh, Stanford Prison Experiment, and what it was. And I'll I'll, I'll bring this into what I want to talk about, but what it was was that he had picked students from the university male students and half of them were to be prison guards and the other half were to be prisoners and the the way they got to be a prisoner or a prison guard was by a, f- a flip of a coin and the prison uh, the prison guards wore khaki clothing they had a club with them and they all wore dark glasses and the prisoners wore this prison garb uh, they had these stock, stocking caps on, and they had a number. And they were the the guards were only supposed to call them by their name, by not by their names, but by their their number. And it didn't. It went bad from the very start. It went bad from the very start. The the guards started to be real abusive. They started to be mentally and physically abusive to these to the the prisoners. They would put them in what they c- called uh, they put them in a closet, you know, and and then they would have the prisoners that were just beaten down and would join join in on it, and they'd all pound on the door and all kinds of stuff. And what it did it. The prison, the the guards were getting meaner and meaner and meaner, and the prisoners, half of them were, probably more than half of them were resisting, and a part of them were, just gave up and did whatever the guards told them to do, and they would, uh, they would put sacks over their heads, 
They would put them in different stress positions. They would do just about anything. And uh, one 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 of the guys, uh, he uh, he couldn't stand it anymore. One of the the prisoners, and he would scream and holler and and just needed out of there. And Zimbardo thought he was just doing that so he could you know you know get out. But it turned out that the guy really was having a problem, and and they finally let that guy go. Uh, the prisoners got angry, and they decided that they weren't going to take it anymore, that they were going to. They got all got into one room, and they put their mattress up, up against the wall and, and uh, refused to come out. And so what the prisoner, the guards did, they called in the other prisoners. There's always so many. It was a 24-hour thing, and prisoner uh, guards were so many on each shift. And so what? And the only thing that the the prisoners had that they could use, was sleep on was these little uh, mattresses. And so they finally got in, and they the guards took the mattresses away. And so they had to sleep on the concrete floor. And they wouldn't let them go out to go to the toilet. And so what they did, they gave them buckets to use. And they wouldn't empty the buckets out for them for, for long periods of time. And the experiment was supposed to go on for, for two weeks. And uh, it started, uh, in, I think, August 4th of 71, 1971. And, and things just really d- disintegrated, just the guards got meaner and meaner and meaner and they uh there was a graduate student a young woman a graduate student who was Zimbardo's girlfriend at the time and he he married they 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 eventually got married but they uh she came in there and she was talking to the prisoners and she you know for studies and and talking to the uh the guards and all everything and and she she told Zimbardo, she says, "Boy, you got to stop this. This is out of control. Somebody's really going to get hurt." And he didn't really believe that. And it went on for a few a little longer, and and finally uh, she says, "You you you stop this, or I'm going to stop it." And so he finally stopped it, and uh, the all the prisoners were you know really glad that it was over, but the guards were angry. The guard said, you told us this was going to be two weeks. It's going to be two weeks we can do this. And uh, they did it for about six days before it was called off. And uh, the reason I'm talking about that is because uh, what I see and what I feel that's going on down on our border with with the folks coming in trying to come into this country and all the prisons they have down there where they put children in prisons in cages these children are sleeping on floors uh, they're not getting the kind of food they need they're not getting the medicines they need uh, so they're dying uh, they're being separated from their mothers and fathers uh, the adults are being moved all over the place and not being able to be with their families. And one of the things that that this brought me back to thinking about the Stanford prison experiments where um, those guards down there aren't trained guards. They're not prison guards. They're, uh, you know, work for companies and things like that. And I'm sure by now we've already heard about some of the stuff that's going on down there, the sexual harassment of the of the girls in the in these cages, the uh, physical abuse that these children are, are going through. And I'm just thinking about as that goes on, the more and more these these guards are are getting that thing that you know that they're the bosses and these people are less than human that they can do whatever they want to these people because they're less than human. You know, they're not Americans. They're not Americans, so they, they can be, we can do with whatever we want to them. Uh, my brother-in-law, Jeff, he's a Presbyterian minister, 
and he's uh, been down there a few times to see what's going on, and he's definitely not happy about what's going on down there. Uh, I know that f when uh, these guards, not the guards, but the Border Patrol people, uh, it's just starting to be the same way with them, the feeling towards these people trying to come into this country. You know, and, and the man that started all this is the fool that's sitting in the White House. He started all this. So I know that they've, that the people, these people who drowned trying to cross the rivers to get, get into this country and a file filed to be, you know, to get into our country that drowned, uh, they don't call them, uh, you know, Hispanic or whatever. They call them floaters. They call those people who drowned floaters, not even human beings, but they call them floaters. And that's what happens uh, when you get one group of people having the power over another group of people that don't have the ability to fight back and become, you know, what they should be, you know, should be in this country. It's not against the law for these people to cross the border and ask for asylum. That's not against the law. What it, what to me is so despicable about, despicable about it is them sending these people back into Mexico or they're trying to send them to Guatemala now into these cities along the border where there's violence, where a few have been murdered already, where there's been rapes against the young women and exploitation of the young children. And they wait there and they wait there and they wait there and they're treated like, like, like dirt, not only by the Americans but also by the, uh, the Mexican government. And the, this country is not that kind of a country. We're not supposed to be that kind of a country. We're a country of immigrants. Immigrants. And these f folks being treated like that is just abominable to me, and, and I'm just so angry about it that these that these uh, people... I, I saw a picture, and it really angered me. There's a lot of people going down there now and watching what's going on in the, in uh, in these places, they can't get into them, so they don't know exactly what's going on inside of them until somebody gets out and tells them. Because they won't let people in to see what they're doing to these children, and these uh, and the older people, they're not letting them in. So what kind of a country is that that don't you know doesn't take care of of uh, people who need help? You know that's not my, that's not my country. You know this country is in the last three years has really really turned turned completely backward. It just it just you know really just annoys me to no end of, about what what's going on. I want to talk a little bit about. Uh, what Trump did and caused all this trouble in in the Middle East with Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, and and uh, you know we've been in in Afghanistan for 19 years. Wars have got to end sometime. They do have to end sometime. And the devastation that's brought on these people by the bombings, by the just the fighting going on, that just think psychologically, like these children down in these camps here, in these prison camps here, concentration camps, they are going to have such a distorted uh, idea about what this country is what this country stands for and that's what's happening over over there too you know my friend she has family in in uh iran and i i i worry about about them and, and how it affects her and her husband i just just 
can't imagine what it would feel like that the nation as big as this one is threatening a country like Iran, you know, being in Iraq, being in Syria, being in Afghanistan. And when he had that that, that uh, uh, government military official murdered, that just sent the tensions just high. And it's going to, it's not over yet. It's, it's really not over yet. And, and I hate to say that because I really don't want a, a, a war to break out. Uh, with uh, with uh, Iran, you know, Iran's not like Iraq, or Afghanistan, or Syria. These these folks have been in war. They know they have equipment. You know, they may be small, but but they have a lot of really good good military, offensive and defensive missiles. If the United States think that they can go in there and just bomb wherever they want to, they're crazy. You know, they're crazy. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be. It's not going to be like going into Iraq or going into Afghanistan. You know, these these people are going to put up a fight, even though there's trouble within the country itself. When you start attacking the country, the people are going to get back together, and they're not going to let a foreign nation come in and just destroy their their culture. Trump was talking about, you know, bombing 52 cultural, center, cultural centers. 52 cultural centers. You know, that's what the Taliban did. Remember when they blew up all the, all the uh, museums and everything in, in uh, Iraq? The big statues of the Buddhas? That's what they do. We don't do that, you know? We don't assassinate the leadership of a country. We didn't do that in Vietnam. And if you don't think that the government knew where the Politburo met with all the leadership at the Politburo, of course they did. They knew if they did that, there would be a lot of more trouble than they were already in. So Trump crossed that line. Trump crossed that line, causing causing this whole bubbling over there that's going to be, you know, a mess. Just one mistake, one mistake. It's going to just ignite that that whole area. And it's not going to be just Iran. It's going to be Iraq and Afghanistan. Those folks are all going to get together and say, no mas, no mas, you know, no more. And I really worry about that. Um, already, you know, there's been, even after Trump's talks about pulling the troops out of, uh, of that area, all, still there's been Americans killed over there, been killed over there. And, uh, he had his chance. Tammy and I were talking about that a little earlier. No, Trump had his chance to go to war, but he didn't go. But he has no problem sending some other person to go to war and to die and to be mutilated and maimed and and psychologically broke for the rest of their lives, where where he 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 wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. So I'm I have a, a real real problem with that. I hope that that Portland, which is really a center of of you know, going to the streets when things are bad for, you know, when the when the government's doing stupid things, you know, Vietnam War, the Iraq War, Afghanistan, Syria, uh, Trump getting getting so-called elected into office, which he didn't. He, you know, he he lost by three million votes. Two of the presidents in my lifetime. Uh, the two of them that weren't elected by the popular vote but were elected by uh, the Electoral College both started wars or kept wars really going bad. And uh, that was George W. Bush and this freak in the White House, Trump. Trump. Trump told... 
when Trump wrote his book about how great he is and everything, he said what he did, he kept things in a turmoil. He kept things in a turmoil. And he could do things when he had everybody in a turmoil. But that's what he's doing now. You know, he's got everything in a turmoil. He's got what's going on in the, in the Middle East. He's got going on in the South China Sea. He's got this going on in his the government. You know, he's, he's, he's been impeached. He's been impeached. But he's still not going to get kicked out because the Republicans run the Senate. They run the Senate. And they're not going to, you know, get rid of him. They're not going to get rid of him. And an impeached president sending our military, our children, our aunts, our uncles, our brothers, our sisters to a war that he started for no reason. Uh, Tammy, I think I want to go ahead now and play the second song. Thank you. In a strange and foreign land A soldier packs his memories As he leaves Afghanistan Back home they don't know too much There's just no way to tell I guess you had to be there Far to know Isn't easy Just another job well done As the government in Kabul falls To the sounds of rebel guns The faces of the comrades Being blown out of the sky Leaves you bitter with the feeling That they Vietnam and back home they didn't know too much 
looking for the words to say That I saw the lonely soldier Just a boy that's far from home And I saw that I was just like him While upon his earth I roamed And there may not be any big parades If I ever make it back As I come home undercover That was Arlo Guthrie singing When a Soldier Makes It Home. Uh, the first song uh, done with Bonaparte was Mark Knopfler. Uh, I want to go... Uh, I've been spending some time with some veterans, uh, uh, Gulf veterans out in Washington County, and we've been talking uh, a lot about suicide rates uh, homelessness, the uh, drug problems that they're having. Uh, I talked to this uh, uh, woman uh, who had gone into the service and she had gone to Iraq and she had also had been to uh, Afghanistan. <clears throat> and she's talking about the problems that she had over there and the problems that she had when she came home and and got out of the service and how she couldn't find a job and, and she got divorced and she had trouble with alcohol and and I told her about going to, you know, the, uh, up on the hill to the VA hospital or go out to the vet center and she said that uh, she's w worried that if she goes up on the hill that she'll be harassed uh, like she uh, was in the service. And Angie sent me this article about a uh, veteran, a female veteran who worked for uh, some veterans organization that the I don't know if it was the committee of veterans affairs like I can't remember but she said that uh she had been harassed by by uh I don't rem I wish I'd have brought that but she was harassed by either a staff member of one of the senators or congressmen or or one of the senators I'm not sure but she filed a complaint Against against them, and it came back that didn't have any enough proof, and her boss just got so angry. She he he they, he wrote all these letters and and uh, said, "How do you you know that's not true? She's not lying. You know why would she lie about something like that?" And it just went back and forth and back and forth, and so still these women are, are having trouble with uh, harassment even when they get out of the service and go to work for the federal government they still they still have a problem uh, Angie sent me another article about suicides and the longer these wars go on the more suicides within the military there are so it's been 19 years since we was in a, that we came into uh, Afghanistan and and the suicide rate is high, is higher within the military as compared to the civilian population. And the choice of, of weapon to commit suicide is, is a weapon. Uh, female veterans have a, are having a uh, pretty hard time with suicides, that uh, they are even more 
women veterans than non-female uh, non-veteran women and suicides that the the mili- the, the women uh, there's uh, v- a veterans their su- suicide rate is uh, a lot higher than uh, non non-veterans so the longer these wars go on the more uh, suicides there's going to be and it was really interesting that uh, the suicides aren't just for people who fought in combat it's for military across the board across the board so you know if, uh, I, I read these articles about you know how they're going to stop the suicides in the military how we're going to do this and how we're going to do that uh, they never say, well, I guess we should end these wars so we can stop the suicide. You know, they don't do that. That's never brought up. You know, it's brought up by veterans groups, but not by the government people. You know, they never say that. There's too much money in it, too much money. And and black uh, African-American uh, female veterans have a higher suicide rate, have a high unemployment rate. They have a high rate of just across the board veterans problems their suicide rate like I said is in, in African American uh, women veterans uh, and also their choice of, of uh, to to commit suicide is, is a weapon is a weapon that is just so horrible I tried to get a breakdown on on uh, by rank and by all you know the usual stuff and uh I de- I re- never really could find a breakdown of uh African Americans, Hispanics, Asian American, you know, white you know, captains, majors, whatever. I could never find a breakdown on who was doing it, but I know that the majority of folks in the military are young and poor and that suicide rate is high you know i i don't you know, you know every time we see some of these kids if they're with a recruiter you know we need to go out and ask them you know say why why are you going in the military you know, and I, nine out of ten times they're gonna say, "I need a job. I need a job. I need a job." And then you you tell them, you know, uh, they sign. They say, "Well, I signed this this contract. It's not a contract. It's an agreement that I can get this, 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 this." You know, and I said, "Well, did you read the whole thing?" And and they said, "No, I just, you know, I just he told me this is what I'd get, and I signed it." And I said, you know, read this part. It says, you are in the military in the convenience of the government. Convenience of the government. So if they want to put you in a job that you're not qualified for, they can do it. It doesn't matter. It says right on there. It doesn't matter what's written on this paper. If we need you somewhere else to do something else, you're going to go do it. You're going to go do it. And they don't understand, they just, uh, you know, they go, I didn't read that part, but that's what it is. It's a convenience of the government. I remember we'd go into the schools and we'd talk uh, about these filthy wars that they've started. And I remember we were, Bill Byers and myself, and I can't remember who else, who was over at Franklin. And this girl stood up and she says, my father is in the National Guard, and he wanted me to ask you, and I can't remember. Oh, it was, I've been in the service for, in the National Guard for 18 years, you know, and it's done this and that, and, you know. And I told her, I says, you know, your dad is in the military to convenience of the government. If they decide they don't need him anymore, no matter if he has 20 years, 25 years, they can get rid of him. Convenience of the government. So don't, you know, and if if the government if it was such a good job, why do they have recruiters out? You know, scouting uh, the 
malls and game rooms and high schools and all that, you know. <laughs> if they got the money to send these kids to college after the war, their service, why don't they give it to them before they go in? But, you know, they need the bodies. They need the bodies. And that's what it's all about. My friends out there in, in Washington County that I talk to, you know, the women veterans, man, they, it's really hard for them. And I feel so bad for them. And I, you know, I try to do everything I can for them. And, uh, but, you know, as long as the military lets the guys inside get away with, with, uh, you know, hurting these women, then there's a real problem in the military. I want to talk every, for the last, I don't know how long I've been talking about the South China Sea. And that is another flashpoint is, is the South China Sea. Uh, right now, uh, England, France, I think Japan, India have started sending their warships through the through the South China Sea and putting you know challenging the China, Chinese government on the forts and stuff they've built on the islands and atolls in the South China Sea. Uh, the Philippines, uh, Malaysia, and Vietnam have all gotten gotten together and uh Russia joined uh Vietnam against the Chinese on this one and that's a really a flashpoint uh they've the China sent in their uh their uh, one and only aircraft carrier they have into that area the fishermen the the Chinese fishermen have uh, sunk Philippine and Vietnamese fishing boats in that area. The Chinese have came very, very close to uh, bumping into uh, American and French and uh, uh, ships that are going through that area. Only the military ships the other ships that cargo ships and all that they there's no problem they go right through you know there's not a problem there you know china said you know they can come through whatever they want it's the military ships you know you stay away from our islands these are our islands even though they were taken to the the hague on this uh, china's china still says that historically those are our islands and they they uh they're not going to give them up and that's really the United States is like pushing and pushing and and prodding these the Vietnamese and the Malaysians and the Thais and the Cambodians and the Philippines and Brunei all those countries in there that have you know claim to these these uh, fishing areas and that's one of the big things is the fishing you know the, the fishing that all those countries are out there fishing to feed their populations and China is also out there fishing and that's one of the things that, that they're talking about uh, that Vietnam will not back down on the fishing and the Philippines they've kind of off and on uh, poked their finger at Japan at uh, China on this but China's also sent submarines into that area the United States gave Vietnam a Coast Guard ship to patrol uh, Vietnam I think I can't remember what year it was, but not that long ago, that Vietnam made a contract deal with a country to go out and 
look for oil because that's a rich oil and natural gas area in that South China Sea. And so they were had a contract with uh, a company to go out and explore for, for the oil and, and that and stuff. And China, <laughs> they weren't going for it. And, and Vietnam finally, Vietnam did back down. But then China sent their their exploratory ships in that area to look for the oil and everything and 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 uh they didn't do it so there's two two really important uh things that that they're f- fighting over which they haven't started shooting at each other yet but they're fighting over and that's the fishing rights and the oil rights and natural mineral rights and the United States doesn't like not being the big boss on the block when it comes to that they they want to have control they want to decide what happens in those areas who gets to do what and and, and whatever and china says no no you're not going to do that and then you, you look the united states started wars in the middle east over oil over oil are they going to start a war over this oil in the South China Sea? You know, that's a that's you know that's another thing that uh, I'm going to get back to. This. But that's another thing that really angers me uh, is a national what is it, Tammy? National rights or. You know, when we go into another country, we say we're doing it to protect uh, our national, our national interest, national interest. Thank you. And you know, it's our natural inter- interest. We got to do that. We have to have our military here. We have to have our military there. We have to have it wherever we want it for a national interest. You know, who makes who who? What you know, national in- interest. You know, it comes down to natural resources. That's what it comes down to. That's our national interest. And we're sending our troops all over the world for national interest. Oil. Natural resources. Being a big boy on the block. The United States just got... Saudi Arabia just paid the United States a bunch of money to have our troops in Saudi Arabia that makes them a mercenary group what's that our national interest oil our troops are being used to uh, it's so frustrating you know to be used to take other people's natural resources to take to die for a corporation that makes a ton of money and a soldier makes not that much money. Natural resources. How is that in our, you know, when you take that oath, you promise to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Not anything in there says for national interest. No, it doesn't say it at all, and they 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 send in our troops all over the all over the world for our national interest, using our military as their hired guns, and now Saudi Arabia really brought it out. They paid to have our soldiers protect them in their own country. Our Troops. That is just. And then I remember when uh, the peacekeeping, uh, UN peacekeeping, and they wanted, you know, so many troops from every country, you know, to to be part of the peacekeeping. And there were so many Americans got up. We're not gonna go under wearing those white helmets of the peacekeepers, you know. We're Americans. Nobody tells us, you know, what to do. We tell them what to do, and and a lot of a lot of guys got kicked out of the military for 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 refusing to be part of the 
UN peacekeeping troops, a lot of them, a lot. So that's, uh, I was listening this morning to some folks from Central America. They were talking about the Sandinistas and other groups that were fighting for their freedoms down in uh, the Central America and how the, the troops they were fighting against were all being trained by the United States. All of them were being trained and armed by the United States under the, under the disguise of fighting communism or socialism or whatever, protect a dictator or whatever, and their families were being killed uh, by, by people who were trained by this government. They were dying from bullets from America, by rifles from America. Our buddy Brian Wilson got his legs cut off trying to stop a train that was sending bullets to Central America. Brian lives in Nicaragua right now. Nicaragua. But I, the first time I really met some folks that were really going, they were from Nicaragua, and they were in, uh, and I, it was in New York City, and it was during a 1980 Democratic Convention. I went up there with some friends, and there was a bunch of uh, Nicaraguans were protesting at the at the embassy up there, and uh, we went over and talked to them and everything, and then the, uh, we all left and went back to where we were, but I went back over there and was talking to them and wanted to know what was going on down there, and they said, we're being killed by your government. We're being killed by your government. They're sending all these arms down there, all these guns and bombs and 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 uh, training these people to come and kill us when we're just fighting for our freedoms. You know, they, they you know, the Sundanistas really, I was, they were a popular movement within Nicaragua to get rid of the American-supported dictator. And when they finally did it, and they finally got rid of him and started running the country and running, you know, their schools and everything like that, the U.S. government still went after him, you know, calling them communists. They weren't, you know, some were communists. Of course they were communists. Communists are in all fights of freedom, you know. Like last month we did the story on the Abraham Lincoln Brigade, you know. So they're out there fighting. South Africa, you know, had leadership from the Communist Party, from the communists. So, you know, it's made up of different groups of people, different ideologies, you know. And it's the U.S. did not want to give up their power and control over Central America. That's the whole thing, you know. That's the whole thing. You do what we tell you to do or you're going to pay a price. And that's what the, every country we go into, every country we go into. If you, you know, there are so many good books out there on... Uh, on people fighting for their freedoms and the United States being involved on the other side of it. You know, they were so afraid that if Vietnam fell to the communists, then Cambodia would fall, then Thailand would fall, then Brunei would fall, then Australia would fall. None of that happened. You know? The Vietnamese, after after seventy five, had to go into Cambodia because Cambodia was attacking them, and China was supporting Cambodia. So then they got in a fight with China up on the border. You know, it's a never ending thing. It's a never ending thing. 
you know, fighting over natural resources, fighting over ideology, you know? Whew. We got to do something, you know? We got to, we can't continue to let this go on. We, 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 especially us, us, you know, we try to do stuff to change it every day. And you listeners, you're the same way, you know, you're my brothers and sisters and, uh, you're out there doing it. You're out there doing it every day, every day. Uh, you know, Tammy, we'll be back on February 21st at 9 a.m. And there it is. different fights. I was there at the little big horn. I heard many men lying. I saw many more dying, but I ain't marching anymore. It's always the old to lead us to the wars, always the young to fall. Now look at all we want with a saber and a gun. Tell me, is it worth it all? From the Mexican land Fought in the bloody civil war Yes, I even killed my brothers And so many others But I ain't marching anymore For I marched to the battles Of the German trench In a war that was bound to end all wars Oh, I must have killed a million men And now they want me back again But I ain't marching anymore us to the wars, always the young to fall. Now look at all we've won with a saber and the gun. Tell me, is it worth it all? For I flew the final mission in the Japanese skies, set off the mighty mushroom roar. When I saw the cities burning, I knew that I was learning that I ain't marching anymore. Screaming when they close a missile plant United Fruit screams at the Cuban shore Call it peace or call it treason Call it love or call it reason But I ain't marching anymore I ain't marching anymore Join us on Tuesday, January 21st for Hindsight 2020 debriefing the last three years. A day of special programming looking back at the Trump regime, what happened, why, and the repercussions domestically and internationally. We'll focus on national policy, foreign policy, privacy, and surveillance, policing, immigration, labor rights, confronting white nationalism, the environment, and much more. Again, that's Hindsight 2020, debriefing the last three years on Tuesday, January 21st from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. here on your community radio, KBOO Portland. And like the man said, this is KBOO Portland. It's 10 o'clock. It's time for Cool Solutions. Let's check it out. I'm Wendy Ring. And I'm Brian Curtis, and you're listening to Cool Solutions, climate action from the bottom up. We know the climate news has been pretty depressing lately, but here's a bright spot. A recent analysis by America's Pledge Coalition finds that bottom-up actions and commitments by U.S. cities, states, and businesses will reduce greenhouse gas emissions 25% by 2030. That's no small potatoes. It's actually half of the whole enchilada halfway to where we need to be by 2030 to keep global warming under 1.5 C. And speaking of cutting out warming from the bottom up, we've got two great stories for you about people taking that quite literally. 
Their weapons of choice? Crowbars and thermometers. First up, the crowbar. One, two, three. That is the sound of a group of people ripping up asphalt. They're volunteers with Depave Portland, an Oregon group that brings community members together to remove pavement and replace it with gardens and play areas. It all started back in 2008 when Arif Khan and Cassandra Griffin wanted to plant trees in their backyard. 